Hello, everybody. Welcome to Keys Vineyard Community Church. We're so glad you decided to join us. We've been in a series called Neighboring Well, and um, we started that a couple weeks ago. We're in the third week of that. So that's what we'll be talking about. Um, my father, out of town in Miami right now, preaching. So uh, I'm his son, Doug, in case you haven't met me. Uh, also filling in will be Pastor Fran and Georgina. So you'll be hearing us in this message. Uh, he usually starts off with a corny little joke, and uh, I thought it would be relative to have a baby-themed joke. I have a 10, almost 11-month-old son, so uh, babies are fun. And at some point, I think most of us have dealt with a baby, or we've been a baby. So uh, I googled baby jokes, and um, it's one of those things that you have to Google with caution. If you ever Google baby jokes, be careful. Uh, you don't think it's bad, but it's a term you have to Google with caution. So I filtered through some of the bad ones, found an average one. Um, this is it. Should women have children after 35? No, 35 children are more than enough. Thank you, that was pitiful. That was... All right, so we've been in the series called Neighboring Well. Uh, it's about hospitality. Um, there's some spiritual applications and some practical applications that we're going to look at uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, last week, we started looking at the armor of God in Ephesians 6, and we talked about the belt of truth and the importance of living with integrity. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And uh, before we jump in to the armor of God, we have a scripture reading. That's found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. should show up right below me. It says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So this is a good checklist for righteousness, and we'll read uh, Ephesians 6.14 with the armor of God. says this, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we're talking about righteousness and becoming his righteousness. And that's our first point, becoming his righteousness. Uh, righteousness is a pretty churchy word. We don't get to say it outside of this building <laughs> very often. Uh, unless you're going like, righteous, bro, but we don't even surf here. Um, Titus 2, 11 through 14 gave us a pretty good checklist of what it means. Um, it's from the grace of God that we can be righteous. Uh, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You know, we're to say no to ungodliness. That's part of being righteous. Um, we're to live self-controlled lives. That's righteous. Uh, we do that while we wait for Jesus to come back. So that, that's, that's why we're righteousness, and we're going to dive in a little bit more about that. Um, if you guys have been here before, uh, we like to end the, uh, the messages, the end of services, really, with um, something we call the 521. You guys know what that is. You'd be thankful for five things, encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. This next verse is the basis of that verse, 2 Corinthians 521. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We do the 5-2-1 to help us stay righteous. Uh, when we're thankful, 
it reminds us to be appreciative of what God has done for us. When we encourage people, it, it spreads that out to others so that they can be reminded of the grace of God. And we do it all for one more. That's why we do it. And that's part of our righteousness plan. It's certainly not the only way. Uh, there are definitely more uh, thought out, more step ways, but it, there's not much you can do with one hand. So there you go. There's a five, two, one thing. We're going to define righteousness uh, as being right with God. So the five, two, one plan just helps us to be right with God. And we have to continue to live this out before the world. Um, it's really easy to start the day being thankful because you got a fresh slate. It's really hard when a few wrong things that have happened to you. It's really hard to be great, you know, thankful in those times. Uh, a light can come on in your vehicle that you haven't seen before, and it makes some funny noises, and then you get a call from a coworker, and they say something that doesn't really work right, and somebody's snarky to you, and you end up with flat tire. You know, that was just last Tuesday. Who knows? It's really hard to be thankful in those situations. Uh, and what happens when we're not thankful is we end up not being encouraging people either. Um, there's nothing worse than hearing a discouraging comment when someone's sharp to you. Um, I, I'd like to say that uh, people won't be discouraging to you, but they will. And what happens when you do that? You just, you don't let it continue on. So when someone discourages you, you need to remember the grace of God, that God still loves them and God still loves you. And don't be snarky or don't be rude after that. Be the stopping point for discouragement and continue to encourage through it. We do this in remembrance of the grace of God. And we all desperately need the grace of God. And that's little point 1A. We all desperately need the grace of God. It's only by His grace we can walk this thing out right. It's only by His grace that we can be righteous. It's only by His grace that we're able to have a relationship with Him. It's not by anything that we've done. We can't do anything to earn God's grace. Uh, we can't perform well enough. It's all just from His grace. It says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that's Paul saying, do not set aside the grace of God. Don't set it aside. If it wasn't for the grace of God, if we could gain grace through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ's death was, that, was for the fact Sorry. Christ's death was so that we could have a relationship with Him. It was, so, it was God's grace to us. That's why Christ died. It was God's grace for us. And grace is a gift from God. That's point 1B. Grace is a gift from God. We read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that verse, uh, we, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
Um, it can be translated back where that word workmanship can be masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He created us to be righteous. And he offered us the gift of Christ, that grace, so that we can be righteous, that we can be made whole, and that we can have that relationship with him. It's because of this grace, gift of grace that we're able to be a people of grace, to encourage people and to be thankful, and not a critical, hypocritical people. Those, the, that line of words was my dad's critical, hypocritical people. Say that five times fast. We're not to be critical, hypocritical people. Uh, Pastor Fran, would you please come up? He's going to give us point two. All right. Thank you, Doug. When you're talking about a snarky remark on Tuesday from a coworker, I'm thinking, there's only about five of us here, so I wonder which one it is. <laughs> no, no snarky coworker. Okay, that was just, yeah. okay. Well, most of us are here. All right. Besides that, we were talking about neighboring, and I've got a quick story about neighboring. A couple years ago, that was probably about seven years ago, but um, a neighbor pulled a boat in next door and it came over onto our side of the, the property. You know, and that's it. You can't be doing that. Um, but it was a pretty cool sailboat. I love sailboats and I don't know why it was bothering me so much. Um, but I'm looking at this sailboat and it's halfway over on our yard. I've got no boat to put there so it really doesn't matter. But it's just running through my head and there's people running back and forth on the boat and I'm just phew, starting to really, really, I'm not neighboring well at this point in time. Not in my head. And I'm looking at this boat and I'm thinking about it now. So I decided to pick up the word. When I pick up the word, little known to me, a page or two down and into it, I start reading about what Christ has to say about loving our neighbors. And I'm like, <sighs> So I stepped outside, and I was like, hey, you got a new boat. He's like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. I put it over on your side. I don't have any davits. I'm going to put davits in. If you want to use the boat anytime, go for it and this and that. And I thought, you know what? If I came out crazy about it, that wouldn't have happened. Um, but because of the Word of God and me turning to it, which I don't always do, um, it was able to um, change the whole situation. But that situation always pops up whenever we're talking about neighboring. And I still don't do wonderful with my neighbors. Um, that's work in progress. So here we go. Point number two, our tendency towards being self-righteous. Now my plan was, I told Pastor Steve when he gave me that point, was to... Uh, just start putting pictures up there of all the self-righteous people I know, um, which me and you know I'd probably be up there in the first line of fire. But um, you know, that that just wouldn't be kind and neighboring either. So uh, we're going to talk about our tendency towards being self-righteous, and, and it's in the word Mark 2:16 through 17. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Not understanding our constant need for the grace of God will cause us to become self-righteous and judgmental, and not caring about people. And that was the hallmark of the Pharisees. That's the way they lived their lives. And unfortunately, it can creep into our lives as well. And we can become self-righteous, judgmental, critical, hypocritical, uh, all those things real quick. So we have to remember that point A, we are all broken. When I can remember that I'm broken, then I don't start focusing on everybody else's brokenness. I can start looking at what needs to be changed in me. Until we come to grips with our own brokenness, we will not be able to effectively stand against the enemy on behalf of our neighbors. We've got to remember we're all born broken. 
And unfortunately, with our lives and, and the, the way this world is, uh, we become more broken as time goes on. And from our early stages in life, our main concerns are pleasure and avoiding pain. And, and I know I live about 14 years doing all I could to avoid pain and to live in pleasure. Uh, and it didn't work. Uh, it just about destroyed me. So we live in a fallen world and sin abounds that all of us have sinned in the p- pursuit of this pleasure and pain, um, pain-free living. And it just destroys people, friendships, relationships, families, everything. Now, the next point is point B, and it's the sin scale. Now, some people have heard of it. Some people haven't. I live by the sin scale, uh, although you know, it wasn't really weighing too well um, for a period of time. But I truly believe this, and a lot of my family members believe the sin scale. And the sin scale is the invention of the self-righteous. On the scale, we have determined that some sins are, are very bad, uh, and, and you know are, are horrific, and that some aren't so bad. And usually our own sins are the ones that are not so bad, and other people's sins are the really bad ones. Right? Uh, we can look at other people's sins and we start to shake our head and say, hey, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And that's what we want to do, and that's that self-righteousness that pops up in us. You know, for example, the self-righteous sin scale tends to see gossip as a tiny little sin, and yet it's one of the sins dealt with most, often in Scripture. Christ did not like gossip. And it's one of those things that a lot of us are just drawn to. Right when Doug said snarky remark from a co-worker, I'm thinking, hmm, I want to know a little bit more about this snarky remark. Right? I mean, that's our desire. We want to know this stuff. Why? Because we have sin within us. Right? So, you know, we start to look at these things, and, you know, gossip is extremely destructive. Just like that, that pleasure-seeking, gossip ruins lives. It ruins families. It ruins friendships. It ruins work relationships. It ruins a lot of things. Right? However, most of us engage in gossip regularly because we don't think of it as a big problem. It's not one of those really bad sins. I'm not sleeping with somebody. I'm not over here. I'm not doing that. I'm not running around on Friday and Saturday nights and doing whatever I want. I'm just talking a little bit about it. Some church groups even have a little thing called the prayer list, you know, and they start, hey, well, you know, let's pray about so-and-so. Did you hear what's going on with them? We've got to be careful of that. Why are we truly bringing it up? Is it because they're in our heart and, we, we, you know, we really want to see something change, or is it because we want to talk about them? And that, that's a measure that you're going to have to talk to God about. Uh, and I suggest doing it. You know, when somebody's, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Instead of saying, what? Should we pray for him? What is it? What's going on? First thing, you know what? Is it something that, you know, we could do anything about? Is it something that, you know, um, we should care about and, and bring to God? Or is it something that, we, you know, we just kind of want to talk about? But we've got to take that step. And it's a hard step. It's not an easy one. Uh, remember... Sin is sin, no matter how we label it. Point C, self-righteousness always has a hint of hate. There's always a hint of hate in self-righteousness. There's a statement that has been going around for quite a while in the Christian community, and that probably many of us have said without giving it much thought. So here it is, and, and it's not right. Hate the sin, love the sinner. We all think Christ said that. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh, and, and not that Christ loved sin. He, he, he did despise sin. Right? Um, but what happens is, the problem with this is that when you think about it, it has self-righteous undertones to it. 
Because what do we start doing? We start pointing out the, the sin in people. Oh, man, I really hate that so-and-so's got that going on. Instead of pointing out the good things in them. You know what? Yeah, so-and-so's got some struggles just like me. But did you hear about what he did with this and that situation? Let's start building each other up instead of tearing each other down um, with these little hints of, of self-righteousness. Think about it this way. If you're relating to someone based on that statement, do you think they're feeling loved? Probably not. They're feeling judged, and you're most likely treating them as some sort of less than person. It happens. I've done it. And I've seen the expression on people like, oh, but really? Well, yeah, I mean, you, know, you kind of tear them apart. And then sometimes we want to hold this like, thought like, well, you know, you've got to cut them down to build them up. Not necessarily. Right? We can build people up without cutting them down. So it has a hint of hate that is saying, I'm better than you because I don't engage in that sin. And that sin's really bad. That's a heavy sin when we put it on the scale. When we're operating under the hate of the sin, love the sinner banner, we have most likely labeled the person by their sin, and it's coloring how we relate to them. So what do we do? How are we supposed to relate to the broken? We relate to them from our own brokenness. I always like to put that out. When I see somebody broken, I try to relate somehow or another to my brokenness. Hey, man, I've been there. I understand that. Give them a couple examples. Now, I know I look pretty, uh, pretty righteous. I don't look like I have much of a past or anything. Um, but, you know, uh, it can be tricky. It can be deceiving. Right? Um, but I can relate to people in that way. I can put stuff out there. I can give some examples. And I do that not to, you know, tear myself down or, or to belittle myself. Christ has done a lot of marvelous things in my life. But I do that so I can relate to somebody. So I'm not putting that label on them. I'm not putting myself above them. Um, because, unfortunately, uh, most of us have that tendency to do that. We want to feel a little bit better than the next person. And Christ never did that. He sat with the sinners. He drank with the sinners. He ate with the sinners. Although he had no sin within him. So, we relate to them from our own brokenness, which is where we connect with point three. And Georgina's going to do that for us. That is so funny because I thought the same thing when Douglas mentioned the co-workers. I was like, whoa, did I say something to him? <laughs> I had to check my, I have to check my text. I'm like, I didn't mean to. <laughs> Do I need to confess? <laughs> okay. Okay, point number three. It's true righteousness. So we are going to look at what true righteousness looks like. Just like Douglas defined, you know, true righteousness is defined as as a person being right in right relationship with God, and is concerned with the with the nature and character of God, you know. And, and the thing that God cared most about was how we loved, because God is love. God said two very important statements that He said was love Him and love others, and we can see that in in our Bible verse of today. It says Matthew 22 verses 36 and 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And like we talked about, since God is love, the most important thing that God wants us to learn here on earth is how to love one another. 
It is in loving that we are most like Him, like God. So love is the foundation of every command that He gives us, okay? And true righteousness. Point A, sees the beauty of people's potential. It sees the beauty of people's potential. When Jesus looked at people, when he looked at sinners, he saw past their sins and saw the, saw the beauty of their potential. He never condoned sin. He never said it was okay. M many times he told them, you are forgiven, but go and sin no more. He, but he didn't let the sin be the focus. He looked at the heart. He didn't label people by their sin. And um, he saw that his love and that his power could change people. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I've heard many times people say, um, people don't change. I don't believe that. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes in, in this church, how many people have been changed by God working in them. I've seen many people's hardened heart soften. I've seen many people with anger issues become more tolerant. I've seen the broken become healed. And God changes people. Okay. Have you ever missed seeing the beauty of someone's potential? Can you think back and think, oh, I totally misread that person. Maybe you judge the book by its cover. Well, I've, I have. I've, um, I, I almost did miss that mark nine years ago. It was a Wednesday night. Bible, I was at Wednesday night Bible study where I first met the man that I was going to marry. Um, but he wasn't what I thought God would send me. I really, you know, I, and I'm not trying to be self-righteous or anything like that, but I was, um, five, I was a seasoned believer, and um, well, five years. <laughs> and I was in my last year of ministry school, and I knew that as soon as I finished that, I was going to be in full-time ministry. So that's where I was. So in my mind, I thought, surely God is going to send me someone who is in ministry already, you know, a strong believer. And all of a sudden, he, I met someone, and he was a brand new Christian, and he was six feet three, ponytailed, with tattoos all over, you know. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a very conservative person. I'm kind of like the good girl, you know. And and this guy wasn't anything like I thought it was. So I questioned God about it. I was like, Lord, you know, and I even prayed. My prayer was this. I was like, Lord, if this is the man that you have for me, great, Lord, thank you. But if he's not, I mean, take him away and take him away soon because he really is cute, you know. <laughs> and that was my prayer. But, you know, I'm glad that I was able to see past that. I was glad that God reminded me that what he can do in someone is way more than I can ever imagine, you know. And, and Fran, Pastor Fran, was, is my husband. <laughs> He's a great guy. He's a great guy. So I'm glad that I was able to see the beauty of his potential, of, of what God could do in him. Okay. Um, so that brings us to um, point number B. Um, true righteousness is grace-filled. It is grace-filled. There's no better example than Jesus as someone who lived a grace-filled life. Um, Jesus loved people, and people knew it. Being around Jesus made people want to change. To it made them want to deal with their own brokenness and to live lives that would please him. Um, like I've said before, I've been witness to many transformation. My own life is a witness to that transformation. I was, 
we talk about brokenness, and it reminds me so much of myself because I was so broken. I, I was so shy, so um, self-conscious, insecure. You know, I um, I really didn't have much of a of a godly direction in my life. And when God came into my life, when He showed me what grace was, and and showed me that I was okay, that I was acceptable, that I was good enough, um, it changed my life, and it made me want to give back to Him anything and in in any way, um, just give Him back something for what He done for me. Um, People responded to Jesus' amazing love, which is what true righteousness looks like. Because true righteousness, and this is point C, is displayed in love. It is displayed in love. It doesn't take sin lightly, but understands that people are only really healed when the, from their brokenness as they engage in a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've... Um, I often wonder, am, am, I doing, am I doing this love thing right? Am I loving people well? And the way that I check myself and the way that I encourage you to check yourself, which I'm sure some of you do, is by um, reading and going through the list of what love is as found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Um, it's like a checklist, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. Um, love is patient, so see if you're patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It does not easily angered. anger. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, that's, that's love. That's what love looks like. And, and we stand against the schemes of our enemy on behalf of our neighbors by becoming the righteousness of God. And we become the righteousness of God by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And, by, and we, we stand against the schemes of our enemy on behalf of our neighbors also by understanding that our own desperate need for grace and by loving others with God's own unfailing, extravagant love. Amen. Okay. All right. Thank you, Pastor Georgina and Pastor Fran. I can't believe it was already nine years ago, huh? I was 14. Can you believe that? Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to close today. If you're watching on TV or the Internet, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if there's anything at all you need, please just find our contact form on the uh, website or call us at 305-872-3404, and uh, we'll see you soon.